Hi, and welcome to Walk Talk, a podcast courtesy of the Wound, Ostomy, and Continence Nurses Society. Walk Talk is your opportunity to learn more about advocacy, education, and research that support the practice and delivery of expert healthcare to individuals with wound, ostomy, and continence care needs. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast to subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Jody Scardillo. Welcome to this week's edition of Walk Talk. I'm your host, Jody Scardillo. Since travel nursing is such a popular option for registered nurses today, I thought it'd be interesting to speak to a WOC nurse who practices as a travel WOC nurse. To that end, I'd like you to join me in welcoming Mary Harris, RN Certified Woundostomy Nurse, and she's going to share with us her experiences as a travel nurse across the U.S. Thanks so much for joining me tonight, Mary. I'm really excited to talk to you about your experiences in travel WOC nursing. Thank you for inviting me, Jody. I had no idea there would be an interest in this. Oh, I, I think there is. <laughs> Tell us all about your past WOC nurse experience, because I know you have a, a lot of experience before you started in this travel role that you're currently doing. Yes, it'll be 20 years, the end of this year, that I'm certified in wounds and ostomies. And my husband was in the military, and we happened to be in Fort Lewis, Washington, which is Western Washington. At the time that I got a home care job, I had been working in home care since about 1988, and we were there in 1998, 97, 98. And a few years after that, I, the home care agency I worked at, you go out with different types of disciplines during your orientation, and I happened to be going out with a certified wound ostomy incontinence nurse on my day with her. So we had a lot of conversation about different things that I had experienced as a surgical ICU nurse, as a home care nurse, and was curious about, and I started out as a nurse's aide, putting myself through college. So I was curious about different products and we went through all those products. And at the time, the agency was trialing the wound vac for home care. I had never seen it before. It was not introduced to the hospitals and nursing homes at this time. It was still on trial just for home care. And since a lot of Medicare and insurance-driven visits, you can't go daily, you can't go twice a day. So you have to find a way to either teach family or come up with a treatment that's going to be once or twice or maybe three times a week. Well, here comes KCI with the wound vac. And so it was very involved back then to watch it happen and see the process. But I enjoyed it so much that part of our conversation led to, so how do you get this job? <laughs> and, and so she told me that she decided to do it because when she moved to Western Washington, she was taking care of people that were using bread bags and rags over their stomas to collect stool and urine. This was 1998-99 timeframe. And as you know, the WOCN or enterostomal therapy officially began in 1961-ish. So that's a lot of years. And I can remember as a nurse's aide using a variety of appliances that were not 
bread bags and rags on people. So that's what piqued her interest. And the wound and continence was just kind of something that she got because she wanted to be full scope and knew that in her practice, she would have the better credentialing behind her. So I looked into it. And in the meantime, they made a position for me to come on board. And that agency put me on the track. I went to Cleveland Clinic for the didactic. And then because my husband's in the military and coming and going, and I never know his schedule because you don't know what's going on in the world. And so I became, yeah, like we don't now. Right, right. So then I went back and I worked, I did my clinical with a couple of WOCNs. Actually, one of them did not have her bachelor's degree and she was a CWOCN. In fact, she called herself an ET nurse because that was still language back then. Yeah. And she was grandfathered because she had gotten it before her bachelor's degree. So I learned a lot from them with their experience of 20, 30 years between the two of them. And then I I covered two separate counties in Washington state. And we left there in 2005, went to Maine for our next assignment and final assignment where my husband retired. I continued to work in home care part-time because of my kids' schedule and being in school. And as things evolve at different places of work, you decide whether or not you want to roll with the punches or not. And the agency I worked for was bought out by another agency. And after a year of being with them, I decided I did not want to go where they were taking the agency. So I went and interviewed, or I was in Bangor, so I interviewed at Eastern Maine Medical Center. And Backing up a little bit, I when I first got out of WOCN school and I was still under the tutelage of the nurses at the St. Joe's Hospital in Tacoma, they were in the process of hosting the Northwest Region WOCN conference. I think there's three or four states, Washington, Alaska, and Idaho, I think it is. Forgive me if I'm wrong. So they're, you know, come on. Give us a hand. We need, we're the education committee. We need to put this on and we need all the help we can. So I helped out wherever they needed me. I didn't have a particular job. I just was, you know, a runner, a go-to, phone calls, making contacts. So they taught me how to network, basically. Looking back on it, that's what they were teaching me, how to network. So when I moved to Bangor, Maine, The first thing I did is I need to get involved. I need to connect. I need to network because I don't know anybody and I don't know how things work here. Being in home care, you know, I know the regulations for Medicare, Medicaid, the states run Medicaid, so it's always a little tricky. And then we went into, you know, all the other insurances that I wasn't sure of. And that's one thing in home care that hospital nurses, probably nursing home nurses too, don't, aren't as aware of what pays for what and how much things cost. And you don't want to have the patient get stuck with a bill because your name's mud if they do. (laughs) Yeah. So I decided to um, sign up for the New England region. I met some people 
through the main area. They met in Portland and I was up in Bangor. So it's about two, two and a half hours away. They would meet. I, I don't remember exactly monthly, every other month. So I would trek down there sometimes after work and making sure that my husband and kids were all set and off I'd go. It was a long late night, but you know, it was part of networking and trying to figure the whole New England region out. And then I went to the New England regional meeting in fall and introduced myself to the president of the region, who was Liz Leminska at the time, met Sue Gurney, met, oh, I'm going to leave people's names out. So <laughs> I can't remember them all because it's been a while since 2005 when I moved to to Maine, said I wanted to get involved. Where can I get involved? Where can I help? And there was a political action committee that was meeting and needed members. So I started out there, went to Niwi in Washington, oh, D.C. Oh, nice. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it still exists. I'm not sure it does, but yeah. Yeah. Did that, was on the political action committee from there, I also joined the education committee just to help out as, you know, kind of the, the runner, the caller, whatever, wherever it was needed. From there, I moved up to education co-chair of the committee for New England. Again, all of my networking that I was doing in home care with vendors really helped me put the connection together. We had a, a good mix of New Englanders on the education committee who could pull in different educators. And then in 2005, I went to the hospital, like I was saying earlier, I decided that the change in scenery at the VNA there wasn't for me and moved into the hospital. So I hadn't been in the hospital, oh boy, 1988 to 2015, I was in home care. Wow. wow. But going back into the hospital was a culture shock. Like I went from the surgical trauma ICU into home care, which was a big leap. But then when I went back into the ICUs and were taking care of wounds and ostomies, I'm like, everything was so small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and everything was the pumps were small. Yeah. The ventilators were small. The monitors were small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, yeah. you know, things came back to me as, you know, from my ICU days, but still it was a cultural shock. But I enjoyed it just the same. Part of the job at the time, we had a an outpatient wound and ostomy clinic, but it was only like two days a week. And it was growing and we needed to service our community that we were discharging, even though they had home care for going home. (laughs) Sounds a little redundant, but we all know what you mean. (laughs) No worries. I'm sorry. I'm stumbling over my words. No, no, we know. You're good. So then we were trying to follow up with those ostomies, at least in five, six weeks. And the schedule was filling up. The wound clinic was busy. It was also part of vascular. So we had the vascular team and the wound team. So then as that was growing, the manager over the vascular and wound team hired 
a doctor who was a surgeon who became wound certified, which was great. And we expanded to four days a week. We got so busy, we needed a second nurse. And so what was happening is the one nurse had left the inpatient and was taking care of it four days a week. And the acute side of the nurses, we were all rotating through, which meant we already lost one and had it replaced her. Now we're basically losing two as we all rotate through. So, you know, the volume of in-house was very hard to keep up with. So we ended up teaching the floor nurses how to do wound vacs, and we would do them once a week to do the assessment and plan and see if, you know, is it time to change to something else kind of thing. Right. Well, that's a nice model. Yeah, it was. It was really nice that we were available for more of the ostomies, the more acute things. Once we knew the wound vac was in good hands, the nurse could take over it, but we still kept an eye on it once a week. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that lightened the load a smidge. And then they decided to just open up two full-time positions in the clinic. Well, me having home care experience I kind of knew the ins and outs of what to ask and what to check on with people like, well, why aren't you doing the wound care? What's the holdup? Well, I'm the only one doing it. I live alone and I can't reach my feet. (laughs) You know, you knew how to get the stuff too. You knew how to get the supplies and things from your home care experience. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, people are going on eBay trying to get cheap supplies not realizing that they have insurance and the insurance should pay for it. Well, we need a prescription. Well, the family doctor isn't going to be giving a prescription because it's not his wound, so to speak. So we had a wound doctor. Then we hired a nurse practitioner that went and got her wound certification so that we were all working in the same evidence-based practice mode. So once we, you know, we all talked about, we need to ask the right questions, not condemn the person for not getting the wound care done. Because there's a lot more going on at home than you know, and you need to have that conversation. And it's not accusatory. You know, sometimes it's just a conversation. So you married, how's the wife and kids? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Who helps you with the dressing? (laughs) While you're doing the dressing. (laughs) Right. right, And that's when you find out, well, we're divorced and it was really ugly and my (laughs) kids blame me. So my kids want nothing to do with me. Uh, So I'm all alone. Yeah. And are you eating? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) That too. (laughs) Yeah. So. I really enjoyed doing that piece of the outpatient wound clinic. Good. Now tell me about, so you're going to be the president of the New England region now. So you've been involved in some levels along, and I think you're the president-elect. Is that right? I'm the president-elect, yes. And I've been involved in the region since 2005, 2006. Nice. So now I'm dying to hear about this travel nursing situation. So I want all the story. How long have you been doing it? And how many different places have you been? And is it all acute care? So fill us in on on how this all works for you. Well, I started in September of 2018. It was a little difficult trying to find an agency 
to find me a job because nobody knew what I did. They wanted me to fill out like a med surge checklist of a scale of one to five, five, you're really good at it. You're the expert one. You need education and lots of practice. I'm like, you know, when it came to IVs, medications, insulin drips, PCAs, giving blood, it was like, I haven't done that in years. You know, you know, I need a whole new education, like the brand new grads coming out of school on IV pumps and medications and all that stuff was so Greek to me. And so through trial and error, I finally found an agency that at least was willing to listen to what I do, go on the WOCN website and read through some of the description along with me giving them a description of what I do. And they actually had a wound care checklist and an ostomy checklist. Forget continence that I'm not certified in continence anymore, but when my recruiter asked me, well, you know, this job, you need your continence. Can you go get it? I'm like, <laughs> oh, sure. And while I'm at it, I'll get a law degree because of course it's just easy. Right, right. <laughs> and she's like, well, I don't know. I didn't mean to insult you. I didn't mean to. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not that easy. Right. I can't just go and get it in the next four weeks. So anyway, we pushed that job aside. But just the same, it was very difficult getting the explanation and then trying to find a job because everyone knows that there's med surge travel nurses. Everyone's familiar now because of COVID, ICU and ED nurses, travel nurses are all over the place. And there's actually travel CNAs, x-ray techs, really? lab, okay. lab people. Wow. Yeah. PT, OT. Yeah. And so it, it was really difficult trying to find that first job. Mm-hmm. And now you're on your third or fourth place, right? So tell us how that evolved. Well, I was in San Antonio first for three months. Then I went to Tucson, Arizona. Um, Most contracts are 13 weeks. A lot of places, if they don't have someone on board to replace you, they'll ask if they want to, if you want to extend. So I was in six months in Tucson, really enjoyed myself there. Yeah, you said that This beautiful high desert. Yeah, Yeah, the high desert. The nurses were really good. Some challenging events there too. And from there, I took the summer off because I became a new grandma. So took the summer off. That summer, my father died. I'm from Buffalo, New York, and my family's there. My husband's family and my father passed away. And he was still living in the big house that he raised us five kids in. And my mom died in 2005, and he just wouldn't downsize. Oh boy. Wouldn't even get rid of her clothes, her get well cards, her funeral cards. Everything was still in the house. Wow. Including the dust. <laughs> <laughs> so you needed some time off. <laughs> so I was like, I wonder if I can find a job in Buffalo as a travel WOC, wound ostomy nurse, and, and live in my father's house because, of course, it would be empty. 
Right. And we didn't want problems. And I couldn't start cleaning out the house until we got to a point where I needed my siblings to make decisions. Right. Right. It's like nobody needs to go through a dresser full of cards and my mom and dad's clothes, you know, who needs to go through all that? You know, I don't need six people in there making a decision. I can do that. So I did find a job. It was at Roswell Park Memorial Cancer Institute, really a well-known, and you know, Jody, it's a well-known cancer institute throughout the New York, Western New York area. So that really helped my family with that. Then I had an opportunity to go to California and I was kind of, do I want to go, you know, all the way from Maine to California? And and the nice thing is the agency with Maine, I have a compact license. So there's a lot of states that have compact license that honor the Maine license. California and New York State do not. Well, Massachusetts doesn't either. So the nice thing is the agency will take the lead and you fill out the paperwork. They will file it. They've got contact people in each state capital that they can contact and kind of push it through. Okay. Wow. I never thought of that part of it. Still took, and California is very expensive to get a license and it takes a long time because they want a background check in every state you lived in. Oh, boy. I was one of those military wives. <laughs> there were a lot of states yeah. to go through. It wasn't just New York like me, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So anyway, I ended up I ended up doing three different interviews in California trying to decide which one I wanted. And the one I picked was in southern Napa County. Napa Valley. Hmm. <laughs> What kind of assignment would that be? So I picked Napa Valley. The hospital was in Vallejo, just the other side of the street from Napa Valley. And then, you know, it's like wine country. Went on wine tours. I did a bike wine tour. I got to know the ICU nurses in the hospital. And they're like, come on, we'll go all together to Napa Valley. And then COVID hit and shut everything down. This was March of 2020. So then like everybody else, we're scrambling. Coincidentally, the supply assistant manager noticed that we were running low on PPEs before COVID hit. So we decided that he needed to stock up. What crystal ball he had to stock up, nobody knows. We got our first cases through the the cruise ship industry. Okay. When the cruise ships were coming in trying to take care of people, we started getting them and it was... Wow. So that was early on in the pandemic then, right? Very, very early on. We, We started getting them a few days before March 15th, that like Monday before the rest of the country shut down. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And have these positions that you've taken been, have you been able to make your schedule or you can make the contract for the timeframe? Like you have that summer off that you, so you were able to manage the work schedule to work with the other things in your life. Yes. A lot of times when, before you ever sign the contract, they want to know if you need any 
vacation time, time off, events coming up. Living in Maine, it's nice to have the summers off. Yeah, yeah, right, for sure. And going back to see my family in the summer. So I do kind of plan out my year wanting July and August off or June, July and part of August. And then I like to have December off so that I can be home like, you know, right after Thanksgiving or around Thanksgiving and just be able to enjoy the holidays with my family and friends. So that's kind of been my cycle. Okay. Then the agency helped with the licensure if that was an issue. Are there other things that like are important if somebody else was thinking about doing this besides you, you kind of have to know what schedule you want, want or can do. Are there other things that like you wish you knew when you started that you kind of learned along the way, or is it fairly straightforward? Some of the things I wish I knew was there are uniform requirements for different hospitals. And like the HCA that I have worked for in the past or in the beginning, you had to have a Navy uniform, Navy or black jacket, you know, like a lot of places to keep the chill off, whether it was a lab coat or a fleece or a vest, it had to be that color. And I wish I would have asked for a uniform allowance when I found that out. I found out after I had signed the contract, I found this information out and I was told, well, that has to be in the contract before you sign it. Oh, okay. Oh, (laughs) okay. Note to self. Right. So I'm like, well, I can deduct it from my taxes, but yeah, big deal. You know, what about housing? What happens with that? Yeah. So there's two different pots of money, so to speak. The first pot of money is your taxable income, which is your hourly wage, which you may say something like, when I first started, what do you mean $16 an hour? I'm insulted. How dare you even start me? Don't don't even start the conversation at $16 an hour because the phone's going to get hung up. But then I found out there's this other pot of money, which is non-taxable, which is housing allowance and meal allowance. Oh, okay. So if you would put those two pots together, I would probably be, when I started, I'd probably be making about $60 an hour. So when they put that together, I was like, oh, I see. But when you first see that contract, you're like, (laughs) (laughs) are you kidding? (laughs) You're you're either hyperventilating or you can't catch your breath because it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. So you have to really read what it's offering. Okay. Yeah. All right. The other thing that I learned after the fact was in your contract, if the place, the hospital you're going to, if you have to pay for parking, For instance, Boston, when I was in Boston, I had to pay for parking. I found out after I signed my contract, because that was the first place I had ever been, that I had to pay for my own parking. Understandably, I mean, Boston's premium real estate. So I found out after I signed my contract that, oh, you have to ask for parking allowance before you sign your contract. I'm like, holy crow. That's a lot of money out of my pocket. 
And yeah, oh, deduct it off your taxes. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to pay it first. <laughs> Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's another good point to be thinking yeah. about, right? Yeah. Okay. Get the uniform and the parking allowance. So I've now learned when I interview with the facility, with the hospital, do you have free or paid parking? And if they say that I have to pay for it, how much is it? And if I get the, well, I don't know. Would you please get me those figures? Because I need to know those numbers ahead of time. Okay. All right. So that's good to know. So tell me a little bit about, now you've been in a lot of places. You've been on the West Coast. You've been in Arizona. You've been in Texas. You've been in Maine. You've been in Boston as a traveler. And now you're in the Midwest, I think. we. When I we am. Spoke. I'm in Missouri. Yeah. Missouri. So, so how is walk practice across the country? Like you've been in acute care environments. Are there a lot of similarities from place to place? Is the role pretty similar from place to place? Or what are your impressions about that, Mary? I would say that the similarities are evidence-based research. Okay, good. They are very, every place I've been is like, I'm sorry, that's not evidence-based practice. I'm not doing that. You know, like putting a wound vac over a fistula. Like, no, (laughs) you know, to the point of getting in an argument and the medical director got involved in the situation. (laughs) I was like, oh dear, here goes my job. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) And it was, no, they, they supported me. The surgeon wasn't very pleased and we avoided each other the rest of my contract, but (laughs) I... I went to sleep at night with a clear conscience. Yeah. Conscious. <laughs> yeah. So that's good. With And were there a lot of differences in places? Like, did you notice wide varieties in practice, like, say, for dressing selection or how certain types of patients were managed? Do you notice that as you've been to different places? Some places, more than others, the surgeons invite the walk nurse or the wound care nurse into the OR to assist with VAC placement. Some places the surgeons are like, oh, you're a blessing. Thank you. And want you in the OR. And others are like, no, I'm good. I'll just stuff it with, you know, lots of curl X and you can deal with it the next day with your wound back. You know, <laughs> and you're like, oh my goodness, can we knock this patient out? Because he's in so much pain, he's going to blame me <laughs> for this pain. But, you know, they pretty much use, you know, if it's wet, dry it up to a certain point. They do. They're very good about that. Very good about marking, pre-op marking, pre-op teaching. I've seen everywhere where, you know, the patient came in on the weekend, came in, you know, at the proverbial three o'clock in the morning with abdominal pain. Well, guess what? They had diverticulitis that exploded into their peritoneum. Right, right. Can't do much about that at three o'clock in the morning. So the surgeon goes in, but I've had surgeons that will call and apologize for putting, you know, (laughs) it's probably in a bad spot. I'm so sorry. It was an emergency or I'm going to take them back because I know it's horrible and I want you to mark them for me. So it's in a better spot. Right. (laughs) That's good. Wow. Thank you. (laughs) You know? And I find, too, with the 
next generation of doctors. They know that we exist and they want our help. And so it's been very nice. A lot of places I've gone, my supervisor has been, you know, what do you need? You know, like for instance, in Tucson, they only had a one-piece flat and a two-piece flat. There was no convexity. I'm like, I've got, you know, my first patient on my (laughs) second week there, they're like emergency call. And the other nurse was like, Mary, you need to go because I've been trying for weeks to get this guy to stop leaking. He's got short gut and ileostomy. The doctor's letting him eat and he really needs to be on TPN till we get this ileostomy under control. He's leaking into his incision line. He's going to go septic on us, that kind of thing. See if you can figure out what to do. So I go up and I look and I'm like, holy crow, where do I begin? And I look at the skin and of course it's terribly denuded. It's, you know, burnt from the effluent, you know? So I was like, okay, I got to take care of that as a wound. And then even though it was butted, the area around him was so caved in. And I'm like, well, there's your problem. We need convexity. We don't have convexity. What do you <laughs> oh, mean dear. we don't have convexity? Yeah. <laughs> well, what we've been doing is just putting like six or eight rings on the back and using paste and just filling in the best we can. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, when I was in Tucson, we had wound carts. Not everybody has wound ostomy carts that I've been to. You either have stuff available on the floor that you don't have to carry stuff, or maybe you have a tote bag or, but this place I had a cart and I'm like, you know, I remember seeing a bunch of baby bottle nipples in the cart. And I have no idea why baby bottle nipples were in the cart, but I left them. You know, I thought, oh, I'll go through this when I have time. (laughs) I'm so glad I didn't have time early in the rotation because I was like, I'm going to take these baby bottle nipples, build up the back like I would because his stoma was, was not even an inch round. So I thought if I use one of these and I use paste and maybe a ring, maybe I can get convexity out of this. And I did. Wow. I got convexity. There were no ostomy belts. So I took a binder and jerry-rigged a binder into a belt for him. And our boss was the director of nursing. And the hospital was like 300 beds. So everybody kind of knew each other. And so I left that patient, went directly down to the director of nursing, who was my boss, and said, hello, (laughs) it's me. I have a concern. (laughs) I'm like, I know I'm the new kid on the block and I'm only passing through. However, (laughs) I've got this patient and I've got these pictures and she didn't know anything about woundostomy stuff. So she was relying on me and the other nurse to teach her. So I told her what I needed. And she said, she called up the management, the materials manager and said, 
I've got a nurse called Mary coming down. She's going to tell you exactly what she needs. I want you to get it as soon as possible, even if it's from one of our other facilities, because the, it was, you know, a chain, you know what I mean? A, a chain of hospitals right, that were right. under the same umbrella. Right. And so, yeah, I had what I needed a day or two later. We stocked the convexity. We got a bunch of different ostomy supplies that we needed. And the director of nursing and all the other nurses were thrilled that I spoke up and got the supplies. And the other nurse, the other wound nurse was like, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) I was like, I was just doing with what I had. And I'm like, Well, I kind of live by the motto, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Right. (laughs) And what's the worst they can say? No. You're fired. Well, that's a little bit more serious. But if all they say is no, okay, well, let's go back to step one. That was also the first place that I learned about the Veriflow Cleanse Choice and had the opportunity to use it. Okay. So do you think that this experience has broadened your skill set as a WOC nurse? It has. I've learned from the other nurses, from the vendors. I've seen things that I didn't see before. And maybe that's just because of the way culture is evolving and the things that are happening. One thing in particular is working in the inner city of Tacoma. And then when I went back the second time to San Antonio, I was in the inner city where there's a lot of homeless Uh and a lot of drug abuse. And I had never dealt with, now I had dealt with uninsured people and low insured people, but never homeless, uninsured, down on the street. They came off the street, they're going back on the street probably doing the same thing after we cured their cellulitis from multiple injections and skin. I never knew what skin popping was skin popping and how to treat that or basically how not to treat it because sometimes they're crusted over and you've got cellulitis and there's nothing for me to do, but say to the staff nurse, IV antibiotics, and if anything opens up, give me a call. There's really nothing I can do, you know, after that. And I've never seen Fournier's gangrene. When I was in Tucson, I saw that. So I learned a lot about Fournier's gangrene. I've learned different techniques of putting a wound back on that I have adapted and adopted. And, you know, I've always protected the peri wound skin, but now it's like I get my barrier rings. And that's what I protect my peri wound skin with because I can get a get and maintain a seal much better with that than I can with any kind of tape. And then what I've been seeing here in Springfield, Missouri, unfortunately, because of the fentanyl that's mixed in with heroin, meth, whatever else is out on the street, I have been seeing a lot of ischemic bowel. Oh, interesting. Ischemic bowel, you know, what do you hear about that with, you know, Crohn's colitis, diverticulitis, vascular problems, yeah. Vascular problems. But because of drug abuse, 
I was like, holy cow. And in fact, we saw another nurse on the team saw this patient today that we're now starting to see after having multiple surgeries. And I'm like, what is the deal? He's openly admits using heroin, IV, snorting it, can, you know, skin popping. And this batch that he got was laced with fentanyl. And I said, why are we seeing so much ischemic bowel? Like we nurses joke about, you know, the two for one special. Yeah. And, yeah. and it feels like the last month, every week we've had an ischemic bowel from drug abuse. And so younger population? 40s. Yeah. yeah. In their 40s, you know. We see the 20 year olds, but most of them are with cellulitis, skin popping. You know, we'll have, they've got compartmental syndrome. Oh, yep, compartment syndrome. Yep. You know, we'll see that with the younger ones, but we're seeing the 40 and 50 and sometimes 60 year olds with ischemic bowel from drug abuse. And it's because it's laced with fentanyl. And the fentanyl, apparently, or the combination or the dirty needles, our ischemic bowel. And we're not talking just a little piece. We're talking 10, 20 centimeters. Oh, yeah. So where, you know, yes. And he not only, this one man, he's 44, not only has a midline, but he's also, his gallbladder was necrotic. So now he's got an, an incision that didn't heal. Now he's got a fistula where we can see the transverse colon and the ilium in the opening where they did the gallbladder. I'm like, holy cow. So tell me also about how do you get oriented in these new places? Like, is there a process or is it sort of like, here's your cart, these are the units, here's a phone or a vocera or go to it? Or how, how does that happen? It is short and sweet because they expect you, they don't want to spend a lot of money on you being oriented for three, four weeks because you're only there for 13. Some nurses I've met are only there for eight. So you've got to basically hit the floor running. Okay. So you have to be confident in your skills to exactly. do this. Yeah. So your first day you're in classroom, you're doing basically policies, procedures, the basic, you're getting signed off on the glucometer. I have been lumped into floor nurses with almost every orientation. And I'm like, I don't do IVs. I don't do pain <laughs> pumps. I don't right. do blood. Right. I don't do insulin pumps. And they're like, too bad. You're on the checklist. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and I look at the other nurses and go, if you ever see me near a pump, throw me out of the way <laughs> because I'm dangerous near an IV pump because I don't know them. You know, it's been 20 plus years. Right. But you're good with the leaky ostomy and that's helpful. Hey, <laughs> throw me in, put that's me in right. coach. That's right. So the first day is all that classroom stuff. Then Tuesday through Friday, you're shadowing one of the wound ostomy nurses and you're also learning the EMR. You know, I, I know Epic, I know Cerner, and I know Meditech. So sometimes it's just a refresher course, you know, of, and also how do they chart? What do they want me to 
make sure I chart on or focus on. You know, some places I've been really focused on the Braden scale and working off the Braden scale to teach the nurses how to evaluate for skin breakdown based on the Braden scale. Others are like, oh, just ignore the Braden scale. It's so scary when the staff nurses do it. (laughs) I'm like, well, what if we go in and correct it? Yeah, they'll just do you know, they'll, they'll ignore yours because you'll be an anomaly compared to their, you know, 18 and 19 on the Braden scale. And you go in there and go, oh my God, this like is a 14, (laughs) you know? So, but then other places, they respect that. And the place I am now, it's like, oh, please, there's so much education that has to be done because COVID we've ignored education because it's just been so super busy and there's been no time for education. Right. Survival mode, right? So that first week is kind of shadowing back and forth. And then the second week I'll be independent, but the nurse that was training me will be on the same floor together. So I'll go see my patient. She'll go see hers and we'll meet back at the desk to do charting. And I'll kind of go, okay, this is what I found. And she says, okay, Show me how you're going to chart everything. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Or, you know, we'll just be shoulder to shoulder. Hey, where do I chart this again? (laughs) Where do I find it? How do I import a picture? You know, so, and then I'm pretty much off and running. Yeah. So, but you have support if you need it, it sounds like. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. So that's a nice thing. Yeah. And like you say, through the beauty of, you know, the blessing and a curse of a cell phone is we've got a team chat. So I can just throw out a chat or say, hey, I need help. This patient's more involved than I thought. And I can't get a nurse to help me because they're stretched then too. Sure, sure. Yeah. So that's nice. So it's, you've been part of good teams. Very good teams. Yeah. How much longer do you think you're going to do this, Mary? Is this like going to be a long-term thing or where are you with that personally? I'm really thinking of doing this into retirement. Are you? Okay. But I don't know if retirement is in two years or five years. Like my husband said, when it's not fun anymore, when you've had enough, when you don't feel like going into work anymore, then you know you're probably at the end. And is that just a bad, quote, bad assignment because... It's just an exhausting assignment and you don't have any free time because my husband, like when I first went to San Antonio and Tucson, my husband used to tease me, is work getting in the way of your vacation? (laughs) Yeah, that was my next question. Do you have some fun and explore? (laughs) I do. I do explore and I use meetup to go out and meet people and do outdoor stuff. I've met a lot of, you know, women that are retired, semi-retired that, you know, they get a group together and every Saturday we go for a walk at a different place and oh, we go to breakfast afterwards too. Oh, nice. <laughs> but so you've made friends in your travels then. That's I have. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good. So if somebody was listening to this and said, oh, I might like to do that. What would your advice be to somebody that was considering trying to go down this professional road because it's kind of a unique way to practice as a WOC nurse. It is. You need support from your family. I left when I had the empty nest and being a military spouse, my husband and I 
are used to not being glued into the hip. And he was very supportive and pushed me, so to speak, into it because it had always been something I wanted to do when I was a young nurse and just never really had someone there supporting and pushing me, so to speak. And my my husband was very supportive. He's like, listen, I've been gone a lot of our marriage because of the military. So if this is something you really want to do, go and do it. So you need to have a supportive spouse. Now, you don't get your housing and meal allowance if you're too close to home. I think you have to be, I'm guessing, anywhere from 50 to 100 miles. Your recruiter would know the exact, I hate to be too exact, so I'm going to say 50 to 100 miles from your home base. Too far to commute to go home overnight. So, you know, maybe that's an hour, maybe that's two hours. And that's where you would get your housing allowance. I've met nurses that do stay right in states, you know, like the state of Texas or Missouri. There's been some people from Maine that have traveled, but they've gone from one side of the state to the other. Me, I want to explore the United States. So, you know, I'm pretty flexible to go go south, do a snowbird job for the winter. Yeah, that's appealing right about now. <laughs> right. You really need the support of your family. If you don't have it, it's not going to work. There are some travel nurses. Now, I have an RV. And because of COVID, we used to go on different websites. And the agency will tell you what websites to go and look for housing. And you used to be able to rent a room, rent an in-law apartment, you know, rent the apartment over the garage, those kinds of things. And then COVID hit and everybody shut down their homes because we didn't know anything about this. So we don't want nurses, healthcare providers of any kind coming into our home. And I know the home care side of our field suffered too, because nobody wanted them going from house to house and coming into their home. So, you know, we had the same problem. So I ended up getting an RV. And so I've got my home on wheels and I've met other nurses that have done that. And in some cases, the husband retired or they've got empty nest and the husband's doing one of those computer type jobs where he works from home. So they just have good Wi-Fi. So he sits in the RV and works while she's at the hospital. And then when she's not working, the two of them wander around the area and, you know, have a mini vacation of touring the area. And so a lot of the spouses have gone out together in RVs. And a lot of RV campsites will offer the site rent-free if you work X amount of hours. So if the husband's retired and not doing anything, he does the you know, registration, he mows the lawn, you right. know, odd jobs okay. while the wife is working. Okay. That's a good way to bankroll funds the sum of that too. Yeah. Now, have you met other walk nurses in your different assignments that are traveling too? Or do you know a lot of other walk nurses that are doing what you do? Because it sounds very cool. There's, <laughs> there's only one that has contacted me. 
when I first started this, like the first six months or a year, I wrote a blog post on the New England WOCN website. And out of the blue, I will hear from random walk nurses, hey, you're doing this. How is it working? And there's only one out of three people that contacted me that went and is physically doing it. And she and I, she and I will email, how's it going? How was your first assignment? You know, she just got started like September-ish. And I want to say she's either from Ohio or Michigan. So she was looking to get out of winter. (laughs) And she took a job in North Carolina and absolutely loved it. And she went home for Christmas expecting to not go back and find another job. And they called her and said, would you come back here for another assignment? Like, Three or four months, and she's like, "Yes, get that me happened, out of winter." That happened to you, didn't it, Mary? That you had a really good experience, didn't you? Tell me that when we were chatting the other time that you went back to San Antonio or back someplace, or you were invited back because it went so well. Yes, I did my first assignment in San Antonio, and then towards the end of 2020, I got a call from that supervisor saying that. We need help. Are you still traveling? I've got two brand new ones, not certified, and one not certified yet, and one is just starting the program. So I need you to teach them and precept them, and you'll be the only walk nurse. I'm like, okay, (laughs) put me in, coach. (laughs) I was there for six months getting them up and running. Nice. That's nice to be asked back, though. They must, you must have done a great job for them. It was touching. Yeah, for sure. That's great. All right. You have been very gracious with your time tonight after working all day. So what else is important that I should have asked you that I didn't? Can you think of anything? This was really nice to kind of hear how you did all this. When you walk into a place, everybody knows each other. And you know no one. So you need to make an instant friend. And that's very hard to break into. Everyone's got family. Everyone's got a social life, but you. So right away, when I'm in orientation with all the other travelers, I'm very vocal about, hey, I'm here by myself. Who else is here by yourself? You want to hang out? You know, it's only for 13 weeks. You don't have to live with them for the rest of your life. It's 13 weeks. Go have fun. If they like to do nothing but, you know, go to antique shops. Eh. So you go to antique shops and you find someone else. If you like to go hiking or exploring and doing the tourist stuff, well, don't be afraid to do something by yourself. Just get up and do it. If you want to do it, do it. You're not, you know, you. Now with the internet, you can say best hikes near me or tourist attractions near me, and you can just go and do it and meet up helps meet up, you know, with COVID though, died, you know, so to speak, you know, it's, it's still there. It's just harder to meet people and hopefully God willing, we're on the outgoing of COVID and we can get back to some sort of normalcy and we can enjoy some sort of normal life and meetup will, you know, continue to 
flourish and come back. And there's other things, you know, there's all kinds of ways to find things to do these days. You know, even if when I check in at a campsite, are there any other travel nurses here? Would you mind telling them I'm at site, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, maybe we can just sit outside the campsite over a campfire and have a glass of wine. And, you know, you don't have a lifetime to make a friend. So you have to go in and do it quickly. And don't hibernate if all of a sudden you're like, I've been trying for a month to find friend, just one to hang out with. Keep trying. Even if that means the last two weeks, in fact, that's happening to me. I lost track of one of the nurses in orientation. We were trying to get together and her schedule and my schedule just didn't work. Then I got COVID. Then she got COVID. And we just, we just lost track of each other. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna t- I know I've only got four weeks left, but I'm going to text her and see if she's still in town. She's still in town. In fact, she signed an extension and the two of us have been getting together. And yeah. so you have to make a little bit of effort and you do. as the new person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, don't be afraid to go out to a restaurant by yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah. get dressed up and treat yourself to dinner. Yeah. That's good advice for a lot of us, I think. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I'm really excited to get to talk to you. And uh, what an amazing experience you've made for yourself. So I congratulate you and applaud you for for jumping in and doing this, because I think you always wanted to, didn't you? Yeah, I I did. I did. Yeah. And through the magic of GPS, I can get around town. (laughs) Yeah, and that, right? (laughs) All right, Mary, thank you again. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure, Jody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk Talk. Please visit WOCN.org slash podcast for additional details about this topic and the speakers. You can also get more information about subscribing to this podcast so you never miss an episode and to get the latest news and information from the WOCN Society. Again, that's WOCN.org slash podcast. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Walk Talk.